Hello and welcome. We are live. We're live on Facebook. We're live on LinkedIn. We're live on YouTube. This is Johnny Ross, Fractional CMO. I've got Kyle Hoffman with me. How are you, Kyle? Doing fantastic, Johnny. How You're are right. You? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I know it's early for you, um, but um, we're going to be uh, talk deep, in, deep diving into D to C uh, and behavioral science today. Welcome back to Johnny Ross Fractional CMO podcast. Today, we're delving deep into the world of D to C brands, e-commerce, and the transformative power of behavioral science. With us is the dynamic Kyle Hoffman, the strategic mind behind Wellows, Explosive Growth, and the director of Growth Strategy at Function Growth. Kyle's experience spans from applying cutting-edge technology and behavioral science to scaling brands crafting sustainable business models in today's e-commerce landscape. In this episode, we'll uncover the story behind Wello's success, grasp the significance of behavioral science in brand scaling, and gather actionable insights for your D2C brand journey. Are you ready to ignite your brand strategy? Let's dive in. So, Kyle, Tell me, um, tell me about the the Wellows growth story and and uh, and how it's part of uh, Function Growth. I think Function Growth is the agency. Wellows a brand that you uh, created. Tell us the story. Yeah, exactly. Well, first off, that that uh, that's probably the best podcast intro I think I've ever got. I think you should <laughs> join me on every Zoom every Zoom meeting that I ever do. Give my intro that way. I think it'll, it'll win all sorts of clients. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that was a cool story. I mean, um, there's not a lot of agencies out there who who start their own brands, and so it's kind of unique in that regard. But um, but Function Growth, uh, I'll get the backstory. Function Growth is a part of Xenosci Ventures, which used to be just Xenosci. Uh, it was a company our our founder Michael Aaron started the company in his grandmother's garage 25 years ago, um, and it's a really cool classic. Uh, entrepreneurial story, but it started as a programming company and development company, building websites, sort of evolved into a business consultancy and marketing agency. Um, and within the last five years, really, we started to work with B2C brands and uh, part of the company, of course, working with B2C brands, much different than working with some of the larger clients that we have in, in our more classic marketing agency, which is now called Method One. Um, but so we, we about five years ago started working with more D to C brands and started having a lot of success. And, uh, and so in 2021, um, we, uh, decided that it was a good idea to launch our own product company, uh, because, you know, we were having fun growing everyone else's, why not grow our own? And, um, around the same time, um, Michael Aaron had been traveling across the country and, uh, discovered, uh, compression socks basically he, he was doing a long distance relationship with his now wife at the time it was his girlfriend but traveling across the country almost every weekend compression socks sucked he was like well you know man compression socks we could totally uh disrupt this industry there's you know all the compression socks were not very colorful uh they were scratchy and sort of uncomfortable to wear they were either too tight or too loose there was just a, a lot of um opportunity that he saw and of course, he was busy running agencies, so he brought me on um, around that same time to help launch Wello and also to uh, run strategy at Function Growth, which was the D2C portion of the agency that, um, that really focuses on D2C brands. So 
Uh, so fast forward a little bit, and we've uh, we've launched Wello, and um, Function Growth is now bringing on new clients as well. We have we have a couple other owned and operated brands that we're working on too that I can't talk about just yet, but uh, hopefully on our next podcast we can talk about those ones. <laughs> um, but yeah, Wello's been an amazing story. We we like I said, it was hi- highly experimental when we were first launching it. We're like, you know, can we even launch our own B2C brand? Um, and uh, and we kind of just had some uh, really explosive growth uh, in the first year, maybe five times as much as we thought we were going to do. Um, and then, you know, this year we're on track to do 400% of what we did last year. So it's just been uh, it's been really tremendous. And and we've learned a lot over the, over the course of, of actually fully managing and running the brand. So tell us some of the secrets on how you got it to, grow and, and sort of boom so much in that yeah. first 12 months yeah it was a lot of work up front that we did we did a lot of consumer research to really understand what was going on in the compression socks industry and who was buying it and that was all really helpful to how we launched but we actually positioned the brand to be um to be we wanted to be the compression socks brand that sort of introduced new customers to compression socks because Compression socks have all these great benefits of, of wearing them. They improve your circulation, which in turn improves your energy and your health and all these other things. There's a core set of compression socks users who absolutely know what they are. They even get prescribed compression socks from their doctors, so they have to, they have to, wear, have to wear them for their health. Um, but we wanted to build this brand to be a more inclusive, have it be uh, you know, the brand that everyone can discover compression socks through. And of course, when we launched, um, our, our core audience ended up being at first just this uh, the people who already knew about compression socks but i think it was there's a little bit of aspirational element to it it was um there's a lot more people a lot of older people will typically use compression socks um and we sort of built the brand to be younger and more fun and uh i think that there's even even the older consumers um have uh, identified with that brand ethos in a way so there's a lot of work we did up front in the, with the branding to make it colorful and fun and engaging. Um, we put a lot of effort into the pricing strategy uh, because partially because we decided that we wanted to launch this brand to be 100% online e-commerce. We weren't going to do any wholesale, fully D2C, right at the peak of iOS 14. So <laughs> some might say that was a terrible idea, but it worked for us. Um, and it was because we had this great pricing strategy where uh, if we sold one, if a consumer bought a one pair of socks from us when they first ordered, we knew that we were going to lose money because uh, acquisition costs are just so much higher on Facebook these days. We were doing like 90, the early days, we were 95% of our customer acquisition through Meta. Um, and so we built a smart pricing strategy where we have uh, like a mystery pair upsell and um, we have uh, some really smart technology and custom technology that our company built into the checkout. We Shopify, but built it into the checkout. Our cart, uh, the way that we arrange our products on the website, free shipping threshold, all these things to drive the AOV up. And it all worked really well. We have um, our average AOV is around $80 for uh, first-time consumers, which of course gives us the margin we need to be able to, to spend and scale up um, customer acquisition through digital channels. So great brand we started with great pricing strategy that we started with um and then um when we were first were launching i would say we were okay at doing all the the digital ads we've become really really good at doing um all the digital advertising 
because of iOS 14, everything has shifted to be a lot more creative, uh, creative driven. And so like you obviously can't do as much targeting, uh, reliable targeting through Meta. So we're now using the creative. It's almost like a step back to some of the more traditional styles of marketing where you really have to get in the mind of the consumer. What are the things that they care about? What are the things that they that um, that your ads need to speak about? And so we've we've uh, we've got and for the past like years, I would say the first year and a half of even of um, of Wello, we were just producing as much creative as we possibly could, iterating on what was working, and just optimizing our campaigns to figure to to basically optimize towards the best performing ads, and then continuing to iterate and iterate. We've recently started to adopt more of um, we're calling it the creative iteration framework, but uh, but we're we're getting smarter about um, concepting and iterating. Uh, I would say in the past it's just been a lot of kind of like batch and blast as much creative as we can, optimize for the good ones, more creative, optimize for the good ones. And we've recently started to get really smart about taking our creative and, and making it modular in a way so that, you know, this ad is doing well and this ad is doing well. Okay. Well, what are the pieces and components of each of those ads and which, which are linking up? Oh, this one, they both have the same intro. That must be why our thumb stock rates are so good. So let's take that and then, you know, add it to these other components that are working well. So um, I haven't experienced too many other agencies that are doing that or too many other brands that are thinking about it at that level of detail. But I think it's a movement that's there. There's a, I think, I think that's the direction that a lot of companies are starting to go. So it's exciting. There's a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> so, so in that first 12 months, I'm hearing that there was a lot of uh, meta advertising um, and, yeah. uh, and that was powered heavily by uh, regular new content, new creative. Yeah. Um, what were, were the were you using uh, things like Google Ads as well, or was was it all through Meta? Yeah, I, I think um, we probably we were definitely doing some Google, but it was mostly branded campaigns in the beginning, and then we launched some YouTube campaigns as well. And now YouTube has become the second biggest channel for us. Um, now we're doing. I think now Google is probably around seventy percent of our ad spend. Then the rest is uh, YouTube and um, CTV and some Google um, things that we're doing as well. So we've diversified quite a bit, but still, you know, seventy percent is is still going to Meta. And in terms um, of in terms of YouTube, I assume this is uh, YouTube ads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. YouTube ads, um, and uh, you know we've. There's a slightly different like type of creative I think that works well on YouTube, and so we've we've had to we've had to do some more I guess some more like sort of traditional commercial style of shoots that uh, incorporate humor or um, uh, some of those th those those types of creative have worked better for us on YouTube. So it's forced us to now diversify our creative in even more ways by um, by having that. But yeah. Well, so what sort of length of ads do you find work well on YouTube? Um, I think most of our ads are 30 seconds on YouTube. Um, and that's worked well for us. Yeah. Okay. And, um, I was expecting you to say longer actually, and then on meta, uh, being a bit shorter, but, um, but, but it's interesting. It's similar. So, um, heavily on meta and, and it was through the creative. Um, and then what have you, you said you've learned a lot 
uh, and you're now, and I know that now you work with uh, founders of all sorts of different types of e-commerce businesses, D2C uh, businesses, typically uh, in, in the US um, and at all levels. So whether they're just starting or whether they're sort of turning over a hundred million, um, but you, you sort of sweet spot somewhere in, in between the two, I think. So, you know, if, if a founder's listening right now, what, uh, what have you learned that you sort of, you know, what are the key things that if you want to power an e-commerce D2C business, what's, what are the key things that you need to be considering? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think there's a lot of different answers probably to it, but, um, uh, I, I think that, um, like I said, there's, there's, it's never been more important to find, um, true product market fit. The, the way to think about it, I think is sort of like, you need product market fit. If you have product market fit, that's great. You also need to have the smart pricing or um, financial strategy for your business that allows you to scale and use your, and actually make money, use that money and reinvest it to grow your business. So product market fit is important. Having a, a smart, like for us with Wello, it was definitely the pricing strategy that was really important. Finding the product market fit is more of that, um, that sort of intangible or hard hard thing to achieve, um, but we um, we typically like like you mentioned, there's a, a lot of different different levels of brands that we'll work with. But typically, if you if you're able to get three million dollars in a year, I think that's kind of you, that's that's product market fit. I think a lot of founders would typically say, "I have product market fit." I've heard this a lot of times over my years, but I have product market fit that. I all my friends tell me that the product is great. Yeah, well, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> well, yeah, they're your friends. <laughs> How many times have we heard that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, like you know, as a founder, uh, take a very um, skeptical or strict approach to to you know achieving product market fit. But if you can get product market fit, um, and, and I think achieving product market fit these days is uh you know are, are your customer review what, what are your customers saying about you like when your, your customer support agents and your customer experience team is like the, the most important thing for us to understand what is happening even at wello at our we've now scaled up or quite a large business but um for us to understand what what consumers are actually care about and what they're talking about you have to listen to your consumers and so, in, in especially in the early days, the early days are so important. Like for us, we we launched um, Wello and very quickly realized that a lot of people were having fit concerns. Like they loved the socks, they felt amazing, but they just weren't quite fitting, fitting right. And we realized that there was a really large segment of um, of people who needed compression socks uh, who had larger larger legs or wider calves, um, whether it was like athletes or people who are overweight because a lot of times compression socks are, are, uh, are a useful tool for, for when you're overweight. But the, um, but anyway, so we very quickly launched a wide cap sock. And ever since then, it's been, uh, you know, 30% of our sales are wide cap socks and it wow. wouldn't have happened if we hadn't listened to our consumers and really tried to understand what was going on. So I think, um, yeah, my advice for founders is really like get serious about product market fit and be honest with yourself about if you've achieved product market fit. If you haven't, be very flexible with like with there's a lot of founders who are very I build this brand this way because 
that's the way I want this brand to exist. But listen to your consumers and understand what consumers want because that's what product market fit is. You're not trying to just achieve to, to build something that you want to exist in the world. It has to also, you know, fit what consumers want. For for those listening or watching right now and uh, hearing that sort of product market fit, just define it a bit more for me. And how do you really understand truly if you have got product market fit? Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, basically it's value, right? Um, you, as a founder, you have a thing, uh, or as a, as a consumer, um, there's a thing that you want and you will do something and you will be willing to pay something or create action that attracts value. So basically if your customer acquisition costs are too, there's a lot of like, there's not a uh, one thing that will tell you if you have product market fit. It's a, it's a mosaic of everything that's happening with your business. You know, are, are your customer acquisition costs too high? What sort of things are your customers saying about your product or the experience through your customer support? Um, you know, are the click-through rates on your ads just too low? Um, it's it's a, it's a, an entire composition of everything that's happening. But that's why I was saying, like, under you will know if you have product market fit based on what your consumers are saying. Consumers will tell you. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not and actually... of course, the other part of it is the willingness to pay. Like, you you might have product market fit, but not at the price you're selling your product for. At, at the end of the day, any product is worth something but it might be a lot less than what you think it is. And so that's the other component of product market fit. And, and the acquisition cost as well, as you said, uh, yeah. you know, if, if you, if you weigh over on that, then that suggests there could be a, a bit of an issue there and perhaps, perhaps things don't fit. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what, where is the bigger opportunity? Is it, um, I guess the answer is it's both, but is it, or, or where's the biggest issue? Is it trying to get people to the site or is it trying to get them to convert on the site? And, and, um, and where typically, um, do, uh, most businesses fail? Is it, is it the bringing the traffic or is it the conversion where you tend to find, uh, there's the fixes required? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's got to be it's both, uh, which is the the uh, probably diplomatic answer. But no, it's um, I I would say that most there's so much that goes into creating a good app, and there's also so much that goes into creating a good website that's going to convert people. I think Shopify can get you pretty close, right? If you use Shopify, there's all sorts of great templates, all sorts of great tools and plugins that you can use, and you can get your website pretty close to to doing it. The part that is more difficult is understanding like the messaging strategy on the website, what to say, when, where, how are you increasing your AOV? What sort of like some, some of those smaller things, putting it all together and having the right strategy for the website. That's difficult. The tools exist. It's not hard to do. The hard part is understanding how to put it all together and make it work. But as a creative, um, I think that that's probably what, where people struggle the most because there's, it's almost like the, the sort of the blank canvas issue. There's so many things that you could talk about, especially as a founder. There's so many things you want to say about your brand. You're so ingrained into, into, into what you've built and what your product does and what your brand stands for and all those things. Um, and to have, uh, to have a team who really knows what sort of things are working and what sort of things are resonating and to be able to pay attention and understand and read the data 
uh, and do creative iterations. That that part's pretty hard. And and I think you need you just have to be producing a lot of content. Um, you know, and so for small businesses, for founders, uh, you got to probably have to work with someone to get to the the level of content that you need. But, but anyway, that, they're both part of the equation, right? Is that content for the site or for social or for both? What what? In, what I'm just wondering in your head when you're saying you've got to produce a lot of content. I'm curious as to what content you're thinking there. Yeah, ad content. Perform. We call it performance creative. Um, yeah. uh, which of course, and this you know, is you because need a people get this is because people get bored of seeing the same thing. They want to they want to see they need to see it several times before they make a decision several times from different people in different ways um yeah. you know like we have we have ugc ads with 20 different people who are talking about the product and talking about different features of the product and we're matching them up and putting them together we're using them solo um we have professional shoots that we've done where we have essentially commercials that we shot that talk about the benefits some that are more like explainer videos some that have humor um and you uh there's just no way to know exactly what's going to work uh until you are trying them all and, and to be honest having what we've seen is having more different kinds of creative helps your helps your advertising overall because facebook's algorithm is optimizing for for the individual where you can't really do that so <clears throat> if uh someone you know uh mark might be really interested and resonate with humor focused videos but sarah might be really interested in seeing other people and ugc stop videos and uh by not having both your you know if you just do ugc you miss out on all the marks and if you just do humor videos you miss out on all the sarahs and so you by having both you facebook will optimize all your ads and you know, that's kind of the world we live in nowadays <laughs> to feed the machine and, and the, the machine yeah, will work it exactly. out for you um i want to talk about <laughs> behavioral <laughs> i want to talk about behavioral science and the sort of pivotal role uh it has in d2c brands i know that in your group of companies uh you have a, a cbl which is the consumer behavior lab uh, and i think um you've got a, a behavioral science uh, enthusiast as as a co-founder is that right um mm -hmm. tell me more about behavioral science and you know what what is it what what should d2c brands be uh considering and how can it help yeah yeah behavioral science we love to talk about behavioral science it's the way we view it is essentially another input to guiding <clears throat> decision making and strategy for companies that a lot of uh, people in the marketing world aren't necessarily uh, consciously aware of. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of subconscious things. We all know that you know urgency is an important thing for consumers. If you uh, if you you give people a time limit on your promotion, uh, you're going to get a lot of people who who purchase towards the end of it. Um, but there but and that's something that marketers are aware of. Oh, you know we should do a timer but they're not necessarily aware of why it's happening and by understanding why there's a lot of other applications that you can that you can do um and and try and test out for your brand i think behavioral science is essentially this pool of knowledge that you can then use to then run tests and run strategies and see how it applies in the real world for example with one of our brands that we work with uh there's a there's a concept in behavioral science called artificial limits uh, which basically states that if you uh, tell someone that there's a maximum amount that they can buy, um, for instance, you're buying a product, uh, 
well, I'll get to the the, the use case, but for the uh, test that we ran, but basically, it, it says you know if there's an, a limit, then you're going to end up buying more. And so we ran this test, and we said, okay, this is great. Uh, let's let's apply it. And we during a promotion, we said the maximum amount of this product that you can buy is four. Um, even though most people never would buy four of this product. Uh, and what we saw was that, you know, the, our, um, our average order value and the amount of products per cart went up like 20% compared to having none of that language. So now we know that the, you know, that's something to apply to all the future promotions that we do. And so that's just a good, just one example of, of so many, but there's behavioral science is this amazing thing. We train everyone at Function Growth goes through a training program uh to learn behavioral science and all these different concepts that exist and um it just gives us so many ideas and things to, to play around with and you're not starting from scratch it's not like an idea that just comes from you know i think this would be interesting to test it's it's based in actual real world studies of course the real world studies and human behavior is such a hard thing to nail down there's so many different variables all the time so we always say you have to you can you can take a behavioral science concept but you should run your own test to make sure that it applies to your product and your brand and your industry and your consumers. But it's just a, a fantastic resource that, you know, not too many companies think about. So, so is it the idea that you take the concept and then see if it works or is it based on a data set or uh, customer feedback? Where, where does, where does it come from? Um, and if it is a concept, I love the I love the sort of the maximum that you can buy. And I was wondering if you had any others that you can throw in, because uh, I really like that. But I was wondering if there was any others that you could throw in. So is it the concept, or is it the uh, or, or or would would uh, organizations already have some data that would inform behavior science? Probably both, right? You could approach it from both angles. There's uh, a plethora of behavioral science studies out there that exist. I'll give a shout out to Richard Schotten, who's a part of our consumer behavior lab, but he's written two or three books on behavioral science, and each one has you know 25 to 30 different concepts and uh, basically behavioral science principles in there that can be applied. But you can also <clears throat> take a look at your brand and it, behavioral science, if you know all these different concepts, and you're running something that's successful, it gives you another way to step step out of it for a second and think, okay, well, why did this test work? Why why did this AB, why is this homepage variation working better than the other one that we tested? And it could be because of one of these principles. And then that gives you a way to understand it and then something else to iterate on top of it. Um, but yeah, there's tons, you know, there's uh, choice paralysis, which um, is the idea that consumers can be overloaded with options. And so, you know, less options that you give them, uh, the the more likely they are to, to change their behavior or social group is one that everyone's familiar with. That's why UGC ads work so well for us for Wella, because you see other real people in, in sort of real uh, in, in videos, they're shot to look real. And um, those, those typically resonate the best with people or uh, working with influ why influencers work. <laughs> uh, an interesting I'm one, really fun one, is the pratfall effect, uh, which is essentially people's um, people's uh, people's sense that by sh if you show off your weakness as a brand, people actually view that as being more authentic. So authenticity is basically you know is is uh, is perceived through imperfection in a way. Can you um, give me an, can you give me a real life example of that where a brand goes out and and 
and gives a bit yeah. of real. We, we did something really fun last year. We did a holiday card uh, to to uh, our network, and we basically had one cookie on it that was um, we, we took a, a screenshot of a cookie, basically placed it there, and then we took a same screenshot of the same cookie, but we made it look perfect. We had like perfect circle around it, and so it looked like just the most ideal cookie. And we sent it out to all all of our network to see, and it, the question was you know if, if you were to pick which cookie to eat which one would you pick and people pick the one that is imperfect even but they all but what's really fascinating is people think that they would pick the perfect one You're like, oh yeah <laughs> i would pick the perfect one um but it's just like that and um the best way to use the pratfall effect is to highlight something that people might perceive as a weakness, but that actually um, highlights your strength. So like the classic example is Guinness. Guinness for a long time got a bad reputation because uh, it took so long to pour at the, um, uh, at, when you went to a pub, it took super long time for the Guinness to be poured because they had to get the foam and whatever, I forget exactly the reason, but it was a common complaint and Guinness created an entire ad campaign around good things are worth the wait, basically. Uh, and so they highlighted this perceived weakness and and they made it a strength. Um, so there's just all sorts of really cool applications like that. Pratfall effect is a fun one. I love the pratfall effect. I love the you can only buy a maximum number. And I love the idea of less choice because otherwise you're overfaced. Uh, so, some fantastic gold dust there. Um, so uh, Kyle, tell me if um, perhaps a founder of a... Uh, a three million turnover uh, e-commerce DTC brand is listening right now, watching right now, and thinks, "Actually, I'd love to speak to Kyle." Where, where do you hang out? Well, I know that we've got uh, the functiongrowth.co is the website. Where do you hang out? Yeah, functiongrowth.co. You can reach out to us there. Um, you can uh, get in touch with me on LinkedIn. Um, I, I check LinkedIn daily, so I'll, I'll see your message if you reach out to me and connect. Um, uh, you can also shoot me an email, k k hoffman at functiongrowth.co. Um, any of those places would be would be a great place to connect. Brilliant. All of this will be in the show notes. Um, but we've run out of time. Uh, and uh, but what a great story in terms of how um, well, first of all, an agency to, can grow its own brand, and I think that's you know all credit. Uh, the to be perfectly honest because so many agencies talk the talk but very few walk it so i think having uh yeah. having your own brand i think is is really credible um and i think that's uh quite a usp and really interesting in terms of uh what cal's talked about in terms of uh the meta in terms of the the uh amount of creative that you need uh to give that variety and give that choice it's been really good. Listen, uh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. This has been Johnny Ross, Fractional CMO. We've been live on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook. Please do subscribe. Hit that notification bell. Don't miss future episodes. Thank you so much for joining. Cal, thank you for uh, being here. And uh, please do reach out to Cal if you've got any questions. We'll see you soon. Thanks very much, Cal. Awesome. Thank you, Johnny. Great Take time. Take care.